Well, we've been talking about it, so just in case you don't know, four days, four shopping days left for Christmas. If you're like me, you're going to wait until Christmas Eve. Go out. You know, it's really great if you go out at, at Christmas Eve to go shopping because all you get is what's left. You don't have to make a decision. It's just pick up what's there. And then you wrap it up, and it's the thought that counts, right? Well, not always. If you're a little bit short on ideas what you should buy for Christmas, just watch television. I'm going to use a Canadian word here because they use advertisements to get your attention. That's an advertisement for you Americans. And those adverts, they're trying to get you to buy what they have. And the way that they go about it is kind of like shameful because if you don't buy what they're advertising, then you're a loser because you don't really know how to love your family. You're supposed to buy something that really expresses the love of your heart for your family. And so they'll use guilt to get you to buy whatever they want you to buy. And the craziest one to me is that there's this one on television and it's, it's advertising luxury vehicles and this husband brings his wife out of the house on Christmas day and, and they're sitting in the driveway is a brand new luxury SUV and he takes the blindfold off and she looks at it and she's kind of disappointed because the one that she really wanted is driving down her street he blew it he didn't get the right vehicle for her I know this is crazy you know the other thing is, is that as, as your kids are watching television, they're seeing that they need a new cell phone, a new tablet. They need the newest gaming system. They need the newest remote control droid that they can fly around your house and spy on the neighbors with. And if they don't get that, then they've had a pretty lousy Christmas. That's what commercialism is telling us all about Christmas is supposed to be. It's, it, it, they're, they're giving us the idea, if you want to have a happy home, you have to buy all this stuff to make your home happy at Christmas time. As I was doing my uh, research for my talk, I came across uh, this little society, um, and they, they've, they're not too large. They have about 2,000 members worldwide. And they are called the Scrooge Society, and it stands for the Society to Curtail Ridiculous, Outrageous, Ostentious Gift Exchange. Yeah, and, and Chuck Langham of Charlottesville, Virginia, founded Scrooge in 1979 with the focus on how nobody seems to go overboard with any other holiday. A couple of nice, nice gifts aren't enough. You are encouraged and even made to feel guilty if you don't spend hundreds of dollars on each person to whom you're going to buy. Scrooge encourages Christmas shoppers to spend no more than 1% of their gross annual income. So if you make $50,000, you spend $500 total. Um, Scrooge doesn't want to hurt the businesses. They just want us to be sensible. As you can imagine... There's a, a large, overwhelming group of people, majority of folks, who are opposing Scrooge. They want to spend, and they want you to spend. spend. I, I looked up online also, and these are the latest figures I came up. It might be different now, but for the average household, the, every member in the home, 
the average number of uh, amount of money spent on each member in the house, this is going to knock your socks off, is $907. That's the average. Let me translate that to you for my family. In other words, if I'm going to join the rest of the world in spending money on Christmas for my family, I'm going to have to spend somewhere around $8,163. Ain't going to happen. I'll give them a candy cane and call it good. Now, the other thing I want you to know is I'm not advocating that we all join Scrooge because still deep in the darkest recesses of my heart, I'm expecting to find a truck key hanging on the tree at my house. I'm just trying to be subtle. But you know, the, the truth of it is, here's, here's the real truth of it. We, we do want, I mean, going out and buying gifts is great because God gave us the greatest gift that humanity has ever known. Our God is a lavishly gracious, generous God. And so in the spirit of God's heart of being a giving God, because it is better to give than to receive, I think it's okay to go out and buy gifts. Don't get me wrong. We're buying gifts for our kids and for each other, and we're just going to celebrate the birth of Jesus by opening gifts on, well, on our Christmas, which is going to be post-Christmas. You know, it doesn't matter because Jesus wasn't born on the 24th. If you just heard that for the first time, don't be shocked. It's okay. It's a day we chose to celebrate it because we don't really know when. But, but what I think most families are really looking for is, is those gifts that aren't tangible, like peace and joy and harmony. They want a sense of tranquility in their home. And that's what they're looking for on Christmas Day. And far too often, Christmas brings out the worst in our families. You know, because we have these, this expectation of what we're going to get under the tree, and then that expectation isn't met, and so our Christmas Day is ruined. Or we have the, uh, the other things that kind of mess us up for the whole Christmas time because we've got parties to go to. We've got school concerts to go to. We've got friends we want to drop cookies off at their home. We've got to do all this baking and all these things we want to do for everybody just to express love to them. But what it does is it gets us hurrying and scurrying. And, and, and that does not create for a restful time at Christmas. Our, our harmony in our home turns into divisiveness. Joy turns into bitterness. Peace turns into conflict. There's no joy to the world. There's no God rescue, Jerry, merry gentlemen. And there's no peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Because all, all we're doing is everything except that to try and please everybody that we know. And that, I really don't believe that, that that's the celebration that God intended for us. You know, and there's other things that will rob us of God's peace and, and joy, hope, and serenity at this time of the year. It's the hurry part of it. I, I can't say this too strongly, but what hurry does to your soul is that it erodes it. It's like drinking poison for your soul because you're just frayed and you're just worn out and you're hurrying everywhere. And we have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives in order to enter into the presence of God. So hurry's a, a big one. And then 
The other two that I think um, really come and play havoc at Christmas time with us are our memories and reality. There are a lot of us who remember the loss of loved ones. I mean, it, it's the, the matter of the truth is, is that when we come to these celebration times, we get reminiscent about our childhood or other times, and we think about the people that have been in our lives that are no longer with us. They've, they've gone to glory, and they're no longer with us. And some of them have, have died tragically. Others have died of natural causes, like both my parents. I mean, they just, they're with Jesus. They don't want to come back here and open up presents with me. But we think about those who we have lost, and if we dwell on those thoughts, it can bring in a mild depression into our lives at this time of the year. There's a lot of people who get depressed at Christmas time. And our memories are there to, to serve us, not to rule us. And so we can help our memories to serve us the way God intended because we had, God gave us those people. We were in their lives. They were in our lives. And we formed these really good memories. And what we need to do is to go back and think about all those great times we had and rejoice in the fact that for however long they were with us, God gave them to us so that we would have a great sense of community together. And we... We remember those moments with fondness. But memories can also be on the other side of the coin. At Christmas time, there's a lot of people who remember the really ugly, bad stuff of Christmas. There's a, there's a lot of things that are going on in their lives. And Christmas can, can just bring all that stuff that ever happened in their lives right boiling to the surface. Maybe they've they experienced a lot more abuse at, at this time of the year in their family. They, they remember their parents fighting bitterly over just nonsense. They have things going on in their lives where maybe they were, Christmas reminds them of the lowest time in their life and they've got these bad memories of what's going on. Maybe it's a memory of uh, substance abuse. Maybe it's the abuse of, of, of verbal words being poured out on a person that are so hurtful that can never be taken back. And, and we have these memories. And what do we do with them? Because we, we have a difficult time really shaking bad memories. And then that little rascal called reality shows up into our homes. And reality sets in when we look at our finances and we realize that we don't have all the money in the world to go buy uh, the best gifts that we want to buy for our, our family members. And we feel bad. But reality is reminding us that, no, you don't have all that money. You have got to work off of a budget. Because reality really wants to keep us out of debt, not put us into it. That's not reality. The other, the other part of reality is, is that there's going to be this celebration time, whether it's on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, that's the day after Christmas. New Year's, somewhere around this time, there's this big celebration time that we're planning to have. And we know that there's going to be family members that are coming. And the reality is, is that in some of our families, there is conflict that has ar arisen in our families 
that we don't talk about, we don't discuss, we don't ever bring it up. And this, this conflict is going to walk in like an 800-pound gorilla into the middle of our celebration time. And one of two things will happen. We'll either try to completely ignore it, but it makes things really awkward trying to ignore the reality of this 800-pound gorilla called conflict that has never been resolved, and it's just eating away at everybody silently. Or else that 800-pound gorilla is let loose and he just rips everything apart because things blow up and it becomes a mess and and your Christmas day becomes a day that you wish had never happened. It, It is no longer joy to the world. It is like killing me to have this happen. So the big question on our minds is, how do we make Christmas a celebration that captures the true meaning of Christmas? Well, I'm glad you asked. The problem that we have and the problem we face is that we want too much of the wrong things and not enough of the right things. We get angry when we don't get what we, we want or what we think we deserve. We start to go down and take things into our own hands and we take shortcuts in order to get the stuff that we want. And so we charge everything up on our credit cards and end up in a great amount of debt. Matter of fact, um, I recently read that at Christmas time, most of the people that charge stuff on their credit cards and go into debt, by the time the end of October, beginning of November rolls around, they're just starting to f- be finished paying off their Christmas debt just to step into it again. So we have this great propensity to think about and focus on the wrong things more than thinking and focusing on things that will last for eternity. And that's where God, in his wisdom, understood the human heart and the human mind. And so he made some promises far before Christ was ever born just to help us to remember that there is a hope lying out there waiting for us. And it comes from the prophet Isaiah. He, he penned these words. He was the, the seer of the future given by God. And so the first one that he brought to us is from Isaiah 7, chap, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. And here's what he said. The Lord, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The great thing about this little insight that God gave to Isaiah is that he was telling the people that ask God, he was actually talking to King Ahaz, he's saying, ask God for a sign. And he says, I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give a sign. Because Israel and Judah were in deep kimchi. I mean, they were in deep trouble. They are about ready to get just annihilated. And so God says, well, okay, if you're not going to ask for something, I'm going to give you a sign. Here's the sign. And, And we know that it was the Virgin Mary that gave birth to Jesus. And his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not God off in the distance, not God uh, recklessly running around the cosmos doing his own thing and not paying attention to humanity, but God coming and dwelling right in the middle of humanity in all of its mess. The promise is made that God's going to not just show up, but he is going to continue to be here for eternity with us. That's the hope that, that they needed then, but we need it now. We need to understand that, that we've got this promise that God made and it has come to fulfillment 
And, and Jesus lives in the middle of us every single day, every moment, every moment of our life. Jesus is smack dab right in the middle of it because God made the promise. And God always follows through on the promises that he's made. But I also want us to go a little bit further into Isaiah. And it's not that far. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're looking at verses 6 and 7, the very verses that our children read this morning for us uh, for our uh, candle lighting. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. And here's what Isaiah said to us. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. This is a promise right here. I, I, I love this because the language that Isaiah uses here is it, it comes across to us in a past tense kind of setting. He talks as if this has already taken place and all he's doing is providing for us a report of something that's already taken place. Because he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Like it's already occurred and it's already taken place and we have it happening right now. But the reality of it is, the truth is, is that that child and that son would not be brought to, to this earth for 700 more years after Isaiah said it. But the reality of God's promise was so strong and so overpowering to Isaiah. And he understand that when God made a promise, if God made a promise, you can bank on it that it's already happened. You live your life as though it's already taken place. I mean, that's the promise we've been given to God is that if we come into faith through Jesus Christ, his son, He's given us a promise that we will spend eternity with him. We don't, we don't just keep hoping we're going to get to eternity because that would make a mess of us. We live our life right now on the promise that one day we will enter into glory and be with God. It's still to come. It hasn't happened yet, but we live as though it is today. And that's what Isaiah was doing. He, he, literally what he's saying is look forward to it. It's certain He says, live as it's already been done. God's already done it because he promised it. It's done. That's true about all of God's promises. It's already done. But a lot of times what we do is is we fail to really see the promises and we live in the here and now and we live in the the hurry and the scurry of life and and we, we just lose kind of a focus. And so sometimes because we trust the Bible to say, um, to produce what it says it's going to produce in our lives. God says, bring all of your needs, all of your supplications, your prayer requests, the things that are getting you down, bring them to me and I'll deal with them. And so we do. And yet we pray and we ask God and it seems like nothing happens. And so we think maybe God's on vacation or he's taking a nap. Maybe he's forgotten about us because When we ask God to do something, we want it right now. I want God to work right now. But the great thing about God is His timing is always perfect. Our timing is never perfect. 
we want to rush everything. And so timing with God is important and it's everything. And that's why Paul said in Galatians 4 this. He said, when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. It was exactly the right time for Jesus to be born. That's what he's telling us. Right at this moment is when Jesus should be born in the Bible. At that moment. It it wouldn't have, the, the time before wasn't right and the time after wasn't right. It was exactly the right time. And here's what we need to derive from this passage as well from the Christmas story found in Matthew and Mark is that the, that Jesus the human was born in Bethlehem. The son came in human form and that was the beginning of the son coming as Jesus, the man God. Before his birth, Jesus always existed. The son has always been God, but at Jesus' birth, he, be, he became both human and divine. And so we're going to take a little closer look at this because in this passage, Jesus, we know he's the king of kings. He came as the king. He came as the king over over Israel and over the universe because that's who he is. But our king comes with a fourfold name. We're going to look at the fourfold name of Jesus. God made a covenantal promise to David that over when he was the king of Israel that the Messiah would come from his family tree. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a direct descendant of David. And so the prophecy of of Isaiah was about the messianic king, but this king would be no ordinary king. He's the the king of kings. And so we're going to look at each of these titles now and and see how there's a practical application to Jesus' titles for the way that we live our lives here and now. So the first one is Wonderful Counselor. And, and the first word, wonderful, is significant in that it's almost exclusively used of the things that only God can do, something beyond human capability. So Christ's preexistence, Jesus' preexistence, was wonderful. No ordinary child was, was this. Wonderful in his conception, not of a man, but of the Holy Spirit. His birth was wonderful. The angelic host called out, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill towards men when Jesus was born. It was wonderful. Jesus brought heaven and earth together. Heaven and earth united by the babe of Bethlehem. His life was wonderful. Sinless, yet a friend to sinners. His teaching was wonderful. His miracles were wonderful. His transfiguration was wonderful. His death was wonderful because he lived for others. He died for others. And when they When they scourged him, he did not open his mouth. When they jeered at him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. His death was wonderful because he died for you, to reconcile you to God, to redeem you, to set you free. His resurrection was wonderful. His ascension was wonderful. And get this, his return to this earth is going to be wonderful because Jesus is wonderful. And linked with this word wonderful is the word counselor. Jesus brings God's supernatural wisdom to our lives. If ever our world needs the wisdom of Christ, it does today. And this wisdom is ours for the asking. There's a guy by the name of Charles Simeon, and he explains and he says, God's people, God in endows his people with wisdom from above, enabling them to discern the hidden things from the natural eye. It's, it's a spiritual insight that the wisdom 
and the counsel of God gives to us. He's our counselor. Jesus brings God's wisdom to you. As your counselor, he's always available. As, he's, as your counselor, he gives you his undivided attention. He, he will, as your counselor, comfort you and give you the hope of glory. As your counselor, he guides you into all truth. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor because Jesus is our personal advocate. He is our counselor and he is our defense like a counselor in a court of law. Billy Graham says it this way, equal to every emergency, Jesus is equal to every emergency, the answer to every problem in our lives. And the reason he is is because he's a wonderful counselor. The next one is Mighty God. And this title just confirms the implication of the first, that this child will be divine, that he will be God in flesh. As the writer of Hebrews explains, he says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir over all things, and through him also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, being sustaining all things by his powerful word. The point is, is that there have been times when angels have, have come from heaven and manifested themselves on earth. There have been people who have been called gods with a small g. But they're subordinate because they are not mighty God. Our God is a mighty God. Jesus is mighty God. He is God with us. He's God over all creation, blessed now and forevermore. And he has to be that way. He could never bear upon his shoulders the government of the universe. He must be omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. Or, or else he would never be able to hear all the supplications, supply all of the needs and wants of all of his people at the same instance. He is indeed our wonderful counselor and our mighty God. The next of the fourfold titles that our king has is everlasting fidel. <laughs> what have I been drinking this morning? It is the title that refers to his divine character, his being, the manner in which he cares for his children with father-like compassion and tenderness. This title defines his relationship to his people. He is literally the father of eternity. For all eternity, he will deal with his children as a loving father. He is a watchful father who showers us with compassion. Here is a child who is also a father. I, I, I don't know... I don't know if Mary got it when she gave birth and Jesus is lying in the manger and she's his baby, but he is her father. Let that sink in for a minute. Here's my baby boy that's my father. Almost sounds like you're from Kentucky when you say that. But, but the whole idea is, is that he's eternal. Here's a child who is uh, a father, fatherly in his love and care, fatherly in his goodness and compassion. This is his character. This is what he is 
to his people. He acts towards us as a father, a good father, a perfect father. And I want to stop right there because I know far too often there are so many people who, who grow up with absentee fathers. They might be in the home, but they are absent in their presence in the lives of their children and their family. Some people grow up with abusive fathers who did nothing but just berate and belittle and knock them down and probably even had some physical abuse out on this children. And so when you talk about God being, Jesus being your, your eternal father, it's like, oh no, I'm going to have an eternity of that kind of hell? No. Because Jesus is absolutely perfect in what a father should be like. That's why we as fathers, we need to look at what Jesus did, how he interacted with people, how he dealt with children, and how he loved those who were loveless or unlovable. Like a good father. Does he discipline? You bet your bottom he does. He'll blister that sucker. But because he loves you, he'll haul you out to the woodshed. I've worn a path that woodshed. But he is always there. He's never too busy. He's never preoccupied or disinterested in the affairs of his children. He is the provider and protector. He is there no matter what happened. God's Christmas gift came in the person of deity wrapped in the package of humanity. The birth in Bethlehem was not his beginning. There was a time when Jesus was not. But there was never a time when the Son was not. John Phillips says it beautifully. The great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting humanity. The incarnation is as true as the air that we breathe and the sun that rises in the morning. And it's a genuine wedding of the perfect deity with sinless humanity. Jesus is the only one born with no earthly father but had an earthly mother. He had no heavenly mother, but he has a heavenly father. He is older than his mother, but yet as old as his father. That's what the everlasting father is for us. Let's move to the the fourth, and that's the Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. I'm, you probably, let's, let's practice our Hebrew today. Shalom. You guys are A-plus students. I got the best class in all the United States. You all get A's today. If you need a gold star, see me afterwards. But this word shalom carries much more with it than just the absence of war or conflict. It is a word that signifies both prosperity and tranquility. Jesus is literally the bringer of this peace, the prince of peace. It's his nature. It's his passion. He is the bringer of peace. And in John 14, in the upper room, when Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples, and they were distraught over the fact that Jesus was leaving them, he assured his disciples then, as he does now, about his peace. It says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus brings to our lives is 
absolutely unbelievable. It's uncomprehendable how he creates that peace in our lives. I don't know how to figure out how he does it, but I've been the recipient of it. Now, last night, I don't know if any of you guys, anybody else saw it, but they had a, a, a music special on last night, and it was to celebrate the 75th birthday if John Lennon was still alive. Anybody, anybody see that last night? Yeah, just a couple of us, not jobs. I didn't watch all of it. I watched some of it. But the, the, the thing that caught my attention about what they were talking about John Lennon is that he was this man who was going to usher in this, this peace to the world. All of his songs are about peace and peace this and peace that and, and we're going to have peace. He did this crazy, stupid thing where he said, we're going to have peace by staying in our bed for months at a time, he and Yoko. And we're going to have peace. And other people joined him in their pajamas. And they had a pajama party on his bed to usher in peace. That dude was on some serious drugs. And the problem with it all is, is, is that this whole peace, the whole idea, how he was going to be the bringer of peace to this entire nation, to the entire world, has done nothing. You can listen to all the John Lennon songs you want to. And you're going to walk away with an empty feeling. There's not going to be any peace. You know why? Because, the, because in John Lennon's world of peace, he's missing a major ingredient to that peace. And that is, he was never the prince of peace. He was the guy that could talk smack about it, but he could never bring it. And that's what Jesus does, because he's the prince of peace. There's this universal desire for there, to be Christ, for there to be peace in our hearts. I mean, if you were to ask anybody, what is it that you want most? I want most to have this peaceful sensation in my heart that everything's going to be okay. I just need God's peace. I need God's peace with my family that we're going to be okay. I need God's peace that my health is going to be all right. I need God's peace that, that my life is going to turn out okay. I just need God's peace because I'm in torment. From this world. And God, God's saying like. I, I'm bringing it to you. Because Jesus himself. Is our peace. He's the bringer of peace. He's one who made peace for us. By reconciling us to God. He is the wonderful counselor. And the reason he's our wonderful counselor. Is because we're lost and blind. He's our mighty God. Because we are weak and powerless. He is the everlasting father. Because we're dead in our sins and we have no way out and we don't know what it looks like and he's our prince of peace because we what we deserve is God's wrath and Jesus took God's wrath on himself and manifested God's peace for our lives in verse 7 of chapter 9 of Isaiah it says this of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. I'm going to stop right there. When you experience the peace of God in your life for the first, first time, it's overwhelming. I was 12 years old when I experienced that peace in my life. And I know when it's absent. And the reason that it's absent is because I haven't learned to trust that God who supplied that peace when I bowed my head, bent my knee, and called Jesus to be my Lord to be the king of my life. And I experience that peace, but as life goes on, I take my eyes off of Jesus and I look at the circumstances surrounding me and I get all whirled up inside. 
and I have turmoil rather than peace. But if we keep our eye on the Prince of Peace, man, he is going to be the supplier for, for eternity for us. It goes on to say that of this peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. There are a lot of things going on behind the scenes on the world stage that we don't see. A lot of things happening. Because we look at it and we go, where's the, where's the justice? Where's the righteousness? Where are all the things that God's promising to us? But what we can't see is what God's doing under the surface. And God is at work and he's bringing righteousness and he's bringing justice. And he is looking out for the widows and the orphans. And he's caring for the downtrodden. And he's bringing his children along and he's pouring his love into their lives. And if we open ourselves up and become like a sponge, we will absorb and we'll keep absorbing the love of Jesus because when we do that, then we have something to dispense to those around us. And the only one that can accomplish that is what it says at the last of these verses. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. Nobody else can do this. Nobody. Only God. All these things brought together, it talks about a very special person who we call Jesus, who we celebrate his birth at this time because he, he instructs us with wisdom, which is divine. He will act in power as mighty God. He's the one who will love and care for his children all the way through eternity. And he's the one who will bring everlasting peace into our lives. That's what it means the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it, is that it is going to happen forever. So my question is, what do you really want for Christmas? Do you want jingle bells or do you want Jesus? Do you want presents or do you want peace? What is it that you really want for Christmas? Because here's how we find what the application of this promised blessing at this time of the year for us is. Because Jesus is the king of all creation. And his fourfold title declares both his humanity, his human nature, and his divine nature. If we look at those four titles again, wonderful emphasizes his deity because no one's wonderful except Jesus. Counselor emphasizes his humanity. Mighty emphasizes his humanity, while God emphasizes his deity. Everlasting emphasizes his deity. Father emphasizes his humanity. Prince emphasizes humanity. And peace emphasizes his divine nature. In this package, in this bundle of joy, in this, this son of God, this child given to us, the son given to us, wrapped in the package of humanity is the four titles, even as a baby. He knows our struggles. He understands our dysfunctional family. He knows the fear of rejection. He comprehends our struggle for, for significance. He recognizes our disappointments. And because he is our wonderful counselor, he will give us direction when we don't know how to deal with the ugliness of life. When we have no solution to our problems, 
He has the solution because he is the mighty God. He will provide it. When we feel like no one cares about us at all, our everlasting Father cares deeper for us than what we could ever imagine. And when all we want at this time of the year is peace in our homes, peace in our hearts, he is the Prince of Peace who stands at the doorway of your house and at the doorway of your heart ready to deliver. You just have to open the door. So this year, instead of focusing, and I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have presents, but instead of focusing on the stuff, let's focus on the person. Instead of focusing on all the hoopla, let's focus on the holiness of God. Let's turn our hearts, because if your heart is turned to Jesus, hear me on this, if your heart is turned to Jesus, and if you rely and you trust and you walk and you give and you receive, you will know all the things that your heart desires that are not tangible for this Christmas season. So what do you want for Christmas? Here's my Christmas wish for you. Some of you are going like, yeah, pastor can't say wish because that's not biblical. All right, here's my prayer for you at Christmas. That out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you will be, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ for you. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God's, uh, of the fullness of God to every generation forever and ever. Amen? Lord Jesus, we want you to be the king. We want to experience you as our king in our lives for everything that we face in our lives. We, we desire to have you be our wonderful counselor. We need you to be our mighty God. We need, we need to have reminders that you are our everlasting father and we need to experience you as our pr prince of peace. Because that is what will transform our Christmas from being unfulfilling to being absolutely fulfilled. Because you're the greatest gift that we've ever received. Thank you for coming and being who you are in our lives. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.